Welcome back, baseball fans, to another edition of the Prep Baseball Report of North Carolina Podcast. I'm Brandon Hall. He's Matt Payne, and we've got a ton of information and things to talk about with baseball going across of the state, also across the country. A lot of big news is going to affect uh, maybe not the senior class, but definitely the next two to three classes as they start to age up with the NCAA making some waves this week. Matt, how are you doing? Doing good. Happy to be back on. Big, big week, um, kind of back to norms for us. I know you and I have been sitting and writing a lot, trying to get some uh, pod, uh, not podcasts, but scout blogs out. Um, but we also have rankings coming out soon for some of our younger classes and then team rankings. Let's jump right into the Power 25. Um, you know, some major shakeups down, especially towards the bottom of those rankings. But uh, as we start, let's start at the top. East Forsyth and Wake Forest maintain uh, one and two. Middle Creek moves up from five to three. What did you think of those three clubs as you were kind of reviewing all the information of the past couple weeks? Uh, East Forsyth went to Myrtle Beach for their spring break and uh, big wins down there. They just keep rolling along. Uh, we saw Wake Forest at uh, Battle at the Boneyard and they've seemed to blow everybody out lately and so much depth in that lineup and Middle Creek continues to play well. They have, uh, I like what they can do offensively. It'll be interesting to see how they uh, pieces together pitching wise the rest of the year. You know, another team that you saw at the battle of the big rock that you raved about new Hanover jumps from number 10 to number five. What'd you like about the wildcats? Old club, uh, two really good arms on the front end. And then, um, you know, they have Luke Nixon back now who can really play shortstop. And he also threw a couple innings in relief, uh, gives them a bullpen arm to go along with Tate Nelson, the, the freshman we saw that a preseason all state event and, uh, they blew out South Brunswick last night, eight nothing, and they seem to be hitting their stride right now at the right time. Let's jump down towards the bottom a little bit. Um, you know, we've got a couple, not a couple, one, two, three, four, five teams um, that were not ranked when we did the rankings three weeks ago that are now ranked. Uh, four of those teams seeing their first time in the rankings this year. Um, what is it? You know, about – let's start with Orange High School. They were in the ranking. They struggled a little bit. And then you look back up, and they're 15-2, and two, and we've got them back up to 17. Yeah, we uh, put them in. They were playing well. And what's happened a lot this year, we put teams in and they lose. <laughs> uh, but but uh, since that loss, they've, they've been rolling. And, and the numbers some of their guys have put up have been impressive. And uh, what jumped out to me was they beat Lee County and uh, beat Walker McDuffie. And, yeah. You know, we like Lee County a lot and love Walker McDuffie, and they got a big win there. So I like how they're playing right now. Yeah, and that, you know, Lee County, another Power 25 team coming in at 24 this week. Uh, you saw Topsail, um, you know, 11 and 5, kind of a modest record to be entering at number 19. But, you know, it's a club that I think has kind of hit their stride here in the last couple of weeks, found their momentum, found who they are. Um, you got a chance to bear down on them a little bit, I think, at the Big Rock. Um, was that one of the clubs that you saw? Yeah, I got to see Topsail play a couple times. And you go through and you look at the league they're in with, with New Hanover. Uh, I know South Brunswick struggled a little bit lately, but they're no slouch. And and Hogger's in that league as well. And, and Ashley and some of those clubs that are very competitive. And um, I like the athleticism in their lineup. They got Cooper Cavanaugh and Rhett Britt on the mound that, that can shut you down. And um, I like their athleticism, and anytime you match up in that league the way they have, and, and they're currently first place in that league, um, I like what they can do come postseason time. Yeah, and I think that says a lot. You know, when, when they got into league play, and it's something that I think Wake Forest was doing earlier in the year, too, 
Um, not necessarily playing to win every single game, but playing to figure out who they are. What's our identity? Changing the lineup up, changing the rotation up, giving some guys some shots at the front end versus the back end. And then all of a sudden, when we get in the league play, we know who we are. We know how we're going to go about our business. And you've seen Wake Forest take off. And obviously, Topsil sitting at the top of that, that league says a lot about the talent on that club. Um, a couple of the other uh, newly ranked teams, number 18, Terry Sanford, I had a chance to see play. Um, at their own, they host an Easter tournament, spring break tournament. A very deep club. Um, they've got some youth, not a ton, not a ton of seniors um, that you would that are. I don't want to term it the wrong way because their seniors are leaders, um, but I, I don't think they're their most highly regarded prospects. Um, they have a catcher that can really catch and throw, but their younger classes kind of lead their talent pool. Um, probably lack a pure power arm on the front end, um, but they have some depth on the mound. And so, you know, again, 17 and three and, and playing a fairly competitive uh, schedule. We'll kind of see where they land. Uh, another club I've seen a couple times now, Weddington. Again, um, the, the arms don't scare you, but they're able to run out five, six different guys um, that have a chance to get outs. Um, Max Luzaraga is their first baseman. I want to say a 2024 left-handed hitter, maybe a 25. Um, but he, he swung the bat and stabilized the middle of their order a little bit. They've got athleticism at the top and the bottom of the order. The lineup has depth. There's no just general outs, just throw strikes. This guy gives himself out. None of those in their lineup. And, again, with their conference slate playing three games a week, it's a team that's going to be battle-tested. Uh, and then, finally, for me, 22, High Point Christian, um, up from 24 a couple weeks ago, sitting at 18 and two, they went down to the uh, was it Mingo Bay Classic in Myrtle Beach and won that tournament, which is a pre- prestigious tournament. Um, you know, and I think if if they're if Story, their right-handed seniors committed to Wingate is a true legitimate ace, like he has been up to this point in the year, we may be light on them. That was kind of the big question. They've got a left-handed heavy. Lineup. They've got some. They've got the ability to score runs by hitting balls in the gap. Um, athleticism and putting pressure on you may be lacking a little bit, but they've got some depth on the mound. If they have a true ace and story, you know that uh, that may allow them to bump up. So, uh, Matt, as as I'm looking at this, I'm looking at your notes as you go through this uh, and start putting these teams together. Pretty easy to go 35, 40, 45, 50 teams deep in the state and make arguments for guys that hey, why aren't they in the top 25? Yeah, there was a. You get to those final three to five teams that go in. There's a lot of teams that are bunched together and put Holly Springs in at 25. And for me, the reason they got the nod is they're sitting in first place of their league. Um, yep. A lot of teams with similar records, or you need to go back through and you try to find some um, some better wins, or you know teams may have good records, but then they've lost to a team that maybe we've seen or whatever that you know is maybe just okay and. Uh, I think they beat Middle Creek this year and um, a lot of good baseball teams in that Raleigh area and to be in first place that, that put them over the, over the top for me. Well, one of the big matchups this week would be uh, number one, East Forsyth taking on number eight Huff in an out of conference matchup. So I don't know that you'll necessarily see everybody's ace in that game, but you're definitely going to see some lineups that have a chance to score some runs and have been tested throughout and, and really passed every test that they've seen. Um, but both of those clubs, um, as we're as we're shooting this on Wednesday, are going to be in our Atlantic Coast rankings. 
Um, and so the Atlantic coast is made up of North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, and Delaware. Um, East Forsyth going to be number one on the East coast. Uh, Wake Forest will come in at two. Uh, Huff comes in at number 25. And so we've got eight teams out of the state of North Carolina, out of that mid-Atlantic region that are getting rankings. And we've got D.H. Conley, um, Randleman, T.C. Roberson, Cornfolders, some of those clubs right there knocking on the door. Um, what do you expect on that matchup that's scheduled, I think, for Thursday with East Forsyth and Huff? And then also just talk a little bit about the depth of some of these other clubs that, that are making it in this mid-Atlantic ranking as you're kind of looking at these rankings coming out. Yeah, that's a that's a big game, uh, East Forsyth and Huff, but it'll be interesting to see how they play it. I know East Forsyth has Glenn in their league play last night or in, this week, and they beat them by one run. So how those teams manage their pitching staffs will, will be big in that game. And if they throw – maybe they throw their three or four or, you know, somebody may surprise you and, and throw an ace. I, ace, I think Huff has Providence maybe coming up too this week. Okay. So a big game for them. and. Uh, either way, no matter who wins or loses, I think it'll be get a playoff atmosphere and uh, to put some of their uh, lower lower level arms or arms on down the depth chart, get them some some big innings and experience. Let's say both clubs have three four arms that are that are committed. So you know it's not like you know, when you go from one to three, you're going to a high, an average high school arm. You're still getting getting a guy that has a chance. Now, do they save? The, they roll their three into the back end of the bullpen, start their four, and then try to close later. That'll be the interesting part with how they play. And the other interesting part in games like that is when we don't throw our ace and maybe somebody else decides, hey, we, we can throw our guy. How does that team that's not throwing their ace attack that game early? Is it woe is me? Oh, my gosh, we're not matching up. Or is it, hey, if we can get to the bullpen, we got an advantage because we, we've got we've got our guy behind. We're going to throw the fifth, sixth, and seventh. We're running in a, one of our better arms if this guy can throw strikes and we can play defense and we can get out to an early lead, we have a chance to jump out and play from ahead. I think when we look at state tournament play, inevitably you're going to have one of these games where your one or your two doesn't pitch well. Now you've got to win in, in a way where you, you're you off script. The game's not going to go to plan um, like it has 80%, 90% of the year. Yeah, and two, that's two teams that could match up in the playoffs. So do they try to make sure they won't see the guys who, who they would throw in the playoffs and or if they just go point. all in and, and, try, and try to win the big game? That's a great point. You know, some mind games maybe from the coaching staffs because, you know, inevitably both those both those teams are going to be in. Um, you know, the seeding and all that, I don't think anybody's figured out how the, how the seeds actually match up and how to manipulate any of that. So. You know, it could be. We don't want them to get an early look at one of the arms that we may throw against them. But, um, you know, in those regional rankings, East Forsyth 1, Wake Forest 2, uh, Middle Creek is at 5, Pinecrest is 6, uh, New Hanover is at 18, J.H. Rose at 19, J.H. Rose coach Ronald Vincent won his thousandth game uh, at J.H. Rose last week. Matt, can you comprehend, one, being involved in a thousand games and, two, getting a thousand wins? It's it's unbelievable um, to to coach first of all to coach long enough to do that and then to be good enough every year to win that many games and uh, we know the history there and they've made some deep runs in the playoffs but to to do it over that span is is impressive and I think I saw he's the only North Carolina coach in any sport to win a thousand games in in one sport yep yeah I, you know 
it's amazing to me, especially with the way, and I don't want to say that, that kids have changed. I think the way parenting has, has gone has changed. And I think that's cyclical over history. You know, you have a, you know, one generation is very difficult on their kids and those kids go, well, I'm not going to be that way. I'm going to be the, the little bit more of the friend. And, you know, then all of a sudden those kids get to be older and they're going, that didn't work out for whatever reason. I'm going to be tough on my kids. And so there's, there's kind of an ebb and flow to it. And through all that, Coach Vincent has remained a mentor and a friend and a coach and, you know, uh, to, to all those different types of players that have been through that program. Um, you know, every year you show up, it, even with dwindling numbers in other places in the state in terms of, I can remember trying out at Millbrook my freshman year, we have 85 players try out. You know, and obviously there's more high schools now and the numbers are spread out. But, you know, Rose always carries a lot of players. And I think that one of the reasons is, Coach Vincent sees the good in having players around. He sees the good in those players. And even if they have just one tool, they just do one thing that may help this team advance, whether that's in the dugout or on the field, he keeps that player. We're gonna we'll find a uniform for him. And so it is. You 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 go watch them play on certain nights, it looks like they've got a small army in the dugout and they're invading whatever city they're playing in. Um but hats off to Coach Vince. That's that's absolutely incredible. Um you know, and, and and unfathomable to me. My dad was a high school coach. I can't I can't imagine him going through that for that long to get to that number of wins. Uh, and it's not a it's not necessarily a talent deal, you know, because they've had some teams that haven't been necessarily as good over that course. But you know, more more years than not, they've played solid baseball. So um, continuing with the regional rankings, East Orlando at twenty one, and obviously Huff we talked about at twenty five. So. Uh, Matt, that brings us to our national rankings, something new from PBR this year. Um, you know, it's it's something that's drawn a lot of attention. It's something that's very difficult to do, uh, especially when a lot of these higher-level teams are willing to play good schedules, which is one of the reasons they attract good players. So you're not necessarily going to have some of your top teams just run the table, be 30-0. But for the first time ever, we get a team from North Carolina into the national rankings, with East Forsyth at number 23, but it's not just one. We get two, Wake Forest at 25. Talk about just overall, not just those two programs, but overall the depth and talent in North Carolina and how that's kind of able to be perceived on the national level here. Yeah, it's great to have have the state represented in the national rankings and two deserving clubs, uh, both talented rosters, rosters uh, tons of commits up and down, and, and not only the talent, but you know, they seem to be gelling together and playing together. And, uh, you know, sometimes you get into those rankings, it, it's hard to, to get teams in the national rankings at times if you just look at records. You know, some teams will, will play a more challenging schedule and may take some losses early on, and it may make it harder to, to throw them in, in the rankings for the appearance of the record and, you know, say, hey, how can this team be ranked with, you know, four losses or whatever. But, uh, you know, both those teams are hot right now. Uh, we'll definitely contend for the 4A state championship. and deserving to be then there and you could go on down probably another three or four teams in the state that uh could be in the national rankings as well yeah so when, when i did the nhsi i was able to see i think six clubs that we had in the top 25 and then a bunch of other clubs that were in their regionals regional rankings um and, and tc roberson was obviously one of those for us here in north carolina obviously tc roberson goes oh and four but they're played a couple teams i think we had in the top 10 in the country and weren't overmatched, you know, and, and I think sometimes we forget 
you, you, we would all love to have, you know, that, that guy on the front end of the rotation that's 90 to 96 with a hammer slider and excellent command and can throw change up when he wants to. But guys that throw 86, 84, 88, you can spin a breaking ball in the zone, can keep the ball down, and we play defense behind him. Those guys can get a lot of outs, even against really good lineups. And so it's that ability, okay, how do we judge the depth? How do we judge their lineup? How do we judge them over three to four days? And I think that's where East Forsyth and Wake Forest come in. Now, yes, in the state of North Carolina, they have, you know, ace-type arms. When you start looking at the regional, the, the regional and national rankings, the arms are a little bit more diluted because I, I don't think they have guys that are going to be drafted this year. They, they may be drafted at some point. But they're not going to be drafted this year in terms of what's rolling out on the bump. Whereas some of the teams at the top of the national rankings may have two, maybe three. Um, and so you start to see a little bit of that depth issue there. But when, when East Forsyth and Wake Forest can, both can roll out five, six arms that may play in college and get college hitters out, you know, guys are going to be hitting at a high level for the next three to four years. They can get them out right now today. Plus, we play defense. Plus, both these clubs are showing an ability to score runs and bunches. It was an easy deal for us to start banging on the table going, hey, our region deserves at least one, probably three to four. And so we got two in this week, and we're going to continue to kind of bang the table, you know, as these Virginia teams continue to play well, the Maryland teams continue to play well, um, and pushing as many of these clubs up and, and at least forcing – you know, the decision makers in these rankings to take a good hard look at the roster and how they've been playing to determine where our region sits versus California, Georgia, and uh, Florida. Yeah, and, you know, the, get into playoffs and see who makes some runs there. And, and hopefully the, the teams that we have high continue to, to win in the one-and-done format we have here in North Carolina. Well, well, we'll bang the table differently if we get there. So <laughs> let's alert people what's going on. Um, that that's yeah, that that's that's a whole nother podcast. For, and I know people have heard me get on my high horse about that one in the past. So we'll leave that there. Um, and Matt will transition to what has been a very hot topic around PBR, around D1Baseball.com, um, around college baseball in general. I'm not positive that everybody's gotten the news and that everybody's gotten the notes because I think NCAA rules are are sent to college coaches and people that really kind of follow that um, that news kind of path line. Um, sometimes players are left out on it, but two big things from the NCAA. The first one doesn't isn't going to have too big an effect, I don't think, but is official visits have changed. So now as it has been for the last couple of years, juniors and seniors can take official visits beginning their junior year after September 1. Um, but the biggest thing is that they're not going to be limited to five. So they'll be unlimited in the number of, of official visits they take. It used to be the prospect could only take five. The school, I think, in baseball was a number 25 for us. I think that was right. I don't. I think that number still is the same. But for the players um, – you know, they're going to be able to take as many uh, official visits as they want, limited to one per school. So if if I live in, in Charlotte and I want to go to Wilmington and they pay for an official visit that junior year, I can't take another official visit my senior year to Wilmington. Um, and Matt, as we're going through this, let's, you know, really quickly discuss or, or tell us the difference between an unofficial visit versus an official visit real quick. Uh, official visit, the, the school can, can pay for pretty much all your costs. You know, if you're, 
if you're going to visit Oklahoma State, they can, you know, pay for your air travel, your transportation to and from the airport to campus, uh, pick up your hotel, all your meals. Uh, when you go on an official visit, an unofficial visit, it's out of your own pocket. You're paying for it. And um, unofficial visits have probably probably been more common the last few years with all the, the underclassmen committing and, and guys stopping in and visiting campuses and, and talking to the coaches on, on their own dime. And, um, you know, official visits have almost been a celebration of the class you signed. Right. Uh, going in your, your senior year and schools bringing all their commitments one weekend, let them get to know each other and, and hang out and uh, more of a celebration versus trying to sell you on, on why you should go to school there. You know, I know the NCAA stepped in a couple years ago and tried to eliminate some of the unofficial visits from freshman and sophomore, starting them really, you know, allowing them to start doing visits as a junior, trying to slow the pace down of recruiting. And it, and it just didn't. Um, what it actually saw is you saw limited communication between players and coaches, but the same number of offers going out, the same number of commitments. So there was less knowledge of who the coach is and who the player is and how they're going to merge and manage and, and marry and get along, but you still have the same number of commitments. So the NCAA came in and said this, beginning on April 23rd, as we're shooting this on the 19th, we're just a couple days away, April 23rd, there will be no contact, no phone calls, no emails, no text messages, no have this coach, have this player call me. Nothing. But until you're a junior, or getting ready to start your junior year, August 1, prior to your junior year, phone calls, text messages, emails, that stuff can commence. Um, this is a big change. So eighth graders can't call them anymore. Seventh graders can't call them anymore. Freshmen in high school, I can't call Matt Payne and say, Matt, Hey, you guys just had this guy at your at your workout. Can you have him call me? Can't do it anymore. We can't set those phone calls up. If a player picks up the phone and calls a coach, the coach can answer it. He can be polite, but he can say, I'm not allowed to talk to you at this point. Due to NCAA rules, we look forward to talking to you on August 1st, right prior to the ju your junior year. That's it. Your initial thoughts on this rule as it was pushed through? Uh, I think it's a, a good start. Um I think it's going to go back to college coaches and the relationships they have with, you know, people like us and the travel ball orgs. And uh, those relationships are going to be uh, very important again. Yeah. So it's, I think obviously it's going to slow it down because if a player decides to commit and he blasts on Twitter, blessed, humbled, hashtag, whatever I'm committing to, and he's a freshman, it's going to set off all sorts of alarm bells. And that school is going to get dragged in front of their athletic director, their president, their conference. And ideally, they want to avoid the NCAA coming in. So it's going to kind of take those steps. But what's happened is, is this, this rule is following softball and volleyball, who have had it in for three to five years. And both those sports, from everybody I've talked to, and I've made numerous phone calls since this rule was announced, love this rule. It's slowed it down. Now, it's made August 1 a complete nightmare, but it, is, it has slowed it down. It has forced communication after that after they become juniors. So, you know, in softball, they had sixth and seventh graders making commitments. Can you imagine being on the phone with a sixth grader and talking about <laughs> their future and what they want to study and, you know, the things that a college campus offers a sixth grader? I mean, they're, they're really – you know, you're recruiting, and, and, and Sammy Esposito, our, our guy in South Carolina, talked about yesterday, 
you know, you're recruiting and, and dealing with 14 year olds to 24 year olds. If you're, if you were doing all that, it's, and that's, that was mind blowing. It's a 10 year gap of how you're communicating with people that you're trying to make part of your organization. So the rules designed to slow it down. So let's, let's walk through this, Matt, I'm going to put you, you're at a, let's start as a junior college or a division two coach. And now the NCAA, and eventually this rule may get to the Division II level. It's not there yet. It's this Division I rule. You're a junior college coach. How does this affect your recruiting day-to-day, year-to-year? I don't think it changes a whole lot. I think right. it may um, it may make things happen a little bit later for those guys. I think there'll still be a lot of kids that, that have the Division I dream of, you know, thinking with the rules being pushed back that, you know, they, that opportunity may still be there for them and maybe be a, make them later committing to a junior college or division two. But uh, I don't think it changes it for those guys a whole lot. Yeah, and it, just to give you a little idea, in North Carolina, since we've started PBR in this area, I think it's now we're on six years, every single senior class has had 50% or more of the players that go on to play college baseball commit after November of their senior year. So again, more, more players commit after November of their senior year than prior to that date. With our junior college guys that we tracked this year, we only had like four or five junior college commits prior to the early signing period, if I remember correctly. Definitely going into the into the fall. And then now it starts to pick up. You know, and I think junior colleges have to work through their roster. How many, and they know the sophomore slots will be there, but, you know, how many of our freshmen may get a chance to move on? How many of our freshmen may be draft picks? And so a lot of their roster building is late. Plus, they're waiting to see the transfer portal. You know, the, they, it's better for them to get a 19 year old freshman than it is to go get a 16 year old high school player and figure out what they, they have a better idea what the 19 year old is going to be. You know, the body's a little bit more physical, he's a little bit more mature. He, he understands, hey, I, Last chance. I already had my, my four-year shot. I got to get through the two-year to get back to a four-year. And so I think from a junior college standpoint, you're exactly right. doesn't change anything that they're doing. Let's move to um, a mid-major. And, I, and I'm not a big fan of that term, but, you know, we've got 16 schools in the state of North Carolina that are Division One schools. Let's take that middle tier to lower tier of those, those schools. Um how does this? How does the new rule affect their recruiting? Uh, that that'll be interesting. I think they've, you know, those the smaller Division One schools or however you want to say it, have they they put their classes together later? Uh, I think they're still out identifying players and learning the classes, but the the pressure or speed for them to get offers out and and get classes as filled is has not been as fast as you know, the power fives or the, or the bigger schools that have been dialing in on eighth graders and ninth graders the last few years. Yeah. So schools, schools that fit this tier, you know, not playing in the power five conferences, not perennially a, a, a regional team or a, a team that's got a chance to host at the regional level. Those are the schools we're talking about. And, and what typically those schools we will see some that have two to three to four commitments in the junior class, maybe one to two in the sophomore class, but they're going to sign 12 to 15. And so a majority of what they're doing is after really June 1st, moving into the senior year, it really picks up in this state around the state games. 
that, that organization does a good job of that event. Most coaches are there. They see that event. That rolls right into our trips to Atlanta and to Lake Point. And then, boom, we can we can knock out the evals and start really throwing the hammer down on who do we want on our roster. The other part with those guys is it gives them a chance to evaluate players that may be a little bit more late late developing. The six foot four, two hundred and thirty pound eighth grader who runs a six eight, that one that one's easy to evaluate. He's an outlier, but the guy in that same class that as an eighth grader was five eight, ninety five pounds, and now as a junior is six foot one, one hundred and forty five pounds. And you're looking at his dad, who's six foot three, 215 pounds. Well, now we get to see that maturation process with that, that player. And so I think that's important for those schools as they're not missing on those guys because they can't live in the portal the way maybe a power five can. So, Matt, let's let's take it now to the power five. What are some of the things that you see being drastically different for the power five and the way they go about their lives? Uh, I think, I mean, it's intended for them to spend less time out watching eighth graders and freshmen play and, you know, getting classes done so far in advance. Um, I think, you know, a lot of those schools will still still be on those kids and uh, work to find ways around it and try to, you know, in their eyes, stay ahead of the curve. I think you'll see uh, college camps get a lot bigger again, uh, you know, trying to get kids on campus that way. And, you know, you get kids to camp, you can talk to them. Uh, get a feel for how they go about their business and their personality where I feel like, you know, the last few years camps haven't, they've still been there and they've still been important, but uh, you know, you can go out and watch those kids play and, you know, call their coach after the game and say, have, have so-and-so call me and, and get it done. So, um, you know, I, I know what the rules intended for, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and to see if those guys actually dial back on, on some of the younger classes and, and less offers out, uh, you know, I think even even the those schools have done well with some uh, late commitments they've got. Right. The guys that have have been late developers. A lot of times, those guys are the the really big impact guys for for those schools as well. So uh, I know it's designed designed to slow it down. Uh, I'm sure it will some. Uh, I don't know if the the early commits and some of that will be be completely over with though. Well, so a little bit of what's happened in volleyball and softball, just talking to some coaches, obviously everybody wants to get ahead. And, and it's a very competitive sport, with, especially with pay. I mean, coaches are being paid a lot of money to win, and, and they're looking for advantages. How can I get, get to better players? And, and one of those advantages has been getting to them earlier. I'm first. Here's your offer. I need to know. In or out. And, and the kid, the player, really doesn't get a chance to go through the recruiting process and study what he may want. He just knows the school that he's heard of that plays on TV that has a really good football program has come in and said, I got 48 hours to make a decision. I got two weeks to make a decision. You know, what's happened in volleyball and softball, talking to some coaches, is as those competitive types of minds were trying to work around this rule, they, the NCAA quietly dropped the hammer on them. Keep doing what you're doing, and we're going to come in and do a full investigation, which means we're turning your football program upside down, and we're turning your basketball program upside down, and we're telling those two coaches we're here because of you. If you want to keep doing that, this is what's going to happen. We're not saying you're breaking a rule. We don't know, but we've heard things, 
And when we hear something, it opens up everything in that athletic department. And that, that kind of shut it down. Um, you know, talking to some recruiting coordinators at, at the power five level right now, they're recruiting four to five classes. They're having to recruit their senior class to make sure one, those guys show up on campus if they're draft guys, or two, they have a chance to play there. They kind of want to know before the fall. So they're still evaluating those guys and they, they can kind of shift through the, the transfer portal and make some late decisions that they have to, they don't want to cut guys, but they kind of know some guys that may end up at the transfer portal or may end up at a junior college and they can help those guys out sooner. Um, the junior class, obviously, similar situation. You know, the sophomore class is where a lot of those guys are trying to get ahead. It's not it's not a ton of eighth graders. That's like a half a percent. But for the Power 5 programs, for programs that are currently in the top 25, we see that sophomore class where it starts to kind of transition and rock, ratchet it up. You start seeing – you know, that, that top three to 5% of athlete in the class, those are the guys coming off the board and those are the schools are going to. For these coaches, they will be recruiting the senior class and the junior class because they're allowed to. They're allowed to build those relationships, allowed to talk to those guys. They're going to be out watching the sophomore class because they need to know when we get to August 1, who am I calling? The freshman class, the eighth graders, nothing. They'll need to. If I run into one, great. I'm going to have my alumni are going to call me about players. High school coaches, we have a good relationship. They're going to call me about players. Matt and Brandon do a great job. We're going to check their list. I'm going to pick their brain. I'm going to follow them. They're going to have an idea. So when I get to the sophomore year, I'm going to have, if I need 15 players, I'm going to have 50. Pretty easily, I've never had to step foot off this campus, and I already got a list. And that's kind of what those guys are looking for. And I think that's, you know, where, you know, uh, and again, I, I feel like we do a really good job. I feel like we're a trusted and valued source of information. I don't think we're, we're a, a source of decision-making. Um, I don't think anybody's going on going, Matt liked that guy offering. I would hope they're not doing that. But I do, I do think that they're going, hey, Matt liked that guy. We need to go see him. And so if there's a freshman that's out there that's like that, he then goes on their watch list for sophomores. They can make a decision, and then they can get to August 1 and start plowing through like that. So now for these recruiting coordinators, that four-year split is really – or that, that five or six years of the recruit is really down to three years. And, again, we've got three coaches allowed to go on the road. I think their ability to get evaluations on players, their ability to watch players play five, six, 10, 15 times before they have to make a decision – we're going to start separating programs by who can evaluate and who can't versus who gets on the phone the earliest. And so I'm excited about that. Yeah, for sure. I, I think what will be interesting to me is those guys have done it this way for so long. Will some of those guys let themselves slow down? Uh, like I just pulled up our some of our freshman class right now, and I think there's 16 to 18 freshmen in North Carolina committed right now. Uh, so this time next year, that that 27 class, you know, will there be no commits? Will, will guys still be committed through going to camps and things like that? I mean, it's, yeah, so it's designed you, you to slow it down. You've mentioned camps a couple of times. That's that was the one that got some some of the other sports because they would bring the kids in after camp. They're not supposed to have any contact with them. So if at a camp kid goes to a camp. Anything I do with Matt Payne at a camp, I have to do with the whole camp. 
So we all know the rule in the past. That, that was the rule, but I could bring Matt into my office and say, hey, we're not, we're not doing this, but we are doing this. If that word gets out at all, I'm just telling you, I've heard the NCA, they're not coming in and making a big deal out of it. They're just saying, we can be there on Wednesday, and we're, we're not investigating your program. But let your football coaches know to have all these things in order. And the athletic, it will stop. Because I, I don't care how good Tennessee or Ole Miss or Florida are rolling. The athletic department doesn't want anybody in there investigating the football team. Not that they're doing anything wrong, but how many times has the NCAA gone into an institution and found nothing? It doesn't happen. They're going to find something because the rule book's freaking this thick. You're, you're, all, all of us have broken rules. But how much – could you really go in and punish Georgia football, Alabama football, Florida football for what baseball and softball coaches are doing? Because they're talking so about losing, losing uh-huh. a lot of money. Well, the NCAA doesn't care because the NCAA gets the same amount of money. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. What happens is the conference steps in first. And so the way it's been handled is coaches in those conferences, they don't go to the NCAA. They go to their school. Their school calls the other school. You know, we know what you're doing. Don't do it. It continues to happen. We go to the conference. The conference thing comes in and goes, let me tell you what the next step is. And it's going to stop. It's going to stop right now so we don't get to that next step. I, I'm just I, talking to coaches who have gone through it, it. It ended right there. And I know those. it's two, two sports, but softball's making money in, in certain aspects, not the money football's making. Volleyball's making money in some places, not, not to the point football's making, though. So I think the rule, if it's enforced properly, has a chance to really take off. The other part is how many, how many freshmen do you trust? If I make you a secret offer and you commit, you're not going to tell anybody until, until August 1st, you're just going to hold it. You're not going to tell a single soul. It's going to get out. Then why not just put in the rule you, nobody can, you can't commit? It, I mean, well, that's that's the point. Still no re- but I mean, I go back to when it, the early recruiting. I think it started with South Carolina back in the day. They all of a sudden committed a couple kids, and it was just them. And then everybody else, you know, kind of gradually went to recruiting earlier and earlier and earlier. Yeah, so but there was somebody, there, were, there were no rules around the way they were they were they were forcing conversation. So the the rule the zero contact. You cannot have no contact. You can't make an offer. You can't talk to the kid. So how is a freshman committing if you have no contact? So you don't think people will offer at, at camps? I don't. I, I, I think I think they may try, but if that word gets out that they're doing it, I'm just telling you that the position the conferences have taken on this rule is because the rule has a chance to be good. It has a chance to help the, the, the student-athlete. I think it has a chance to help evaluators and programs as well because you're not going to be cycling through kids before they get there. So I, I, you're you're dead on right, though. There are going to be people pushing the issue. It's just a matter of when. I'm, I mean, I'm all for the no early commits, it being a slower process. I think it's better for kids. It's better for evaluators. You just you go back and good evaluators. Yeah, good evaluators. How uh, how everybody's trying to find an edge, and will will some people let themselves slow down and 
follow the rule or try to live in the the gray area as, as many people have over the years. Yeah, and that's and that's I think you're still going to see that, and you're still going to have programs trying to because there, there are programs that know if if I'm matched up and it's mano a mano, and we're going head to head with this other program, well, they're in a heavy weight class, I'm in a flyweight class. I, I'm I'm maybe pound for pound the greatest flyweight to have ever lived. I'm still not getting in a ring with a heavyweight and winning. And I think that's the process that some of the schools are going to have to figure out. Um, you know, and then, you know, the evaluation part is, is huge. I think for guys that can really evaluate and the ability now to put three and four and five evaluations, plus maybe the ability to communicate on August 1st and have some leeway in terms of communicating with them for a little bit before they have to make a decision, you're going to see programs excel because they have good evaluators. And there are a lot of mid-majors that have – no, we're back. We lost, lost connection there for a minute. We're gonna, you're gonna see some really good evaluators take programs higher level. And I, you think about Dallas Baptist. Dallas Baptist doesn't recruit a ton early. You know, they're not getting a bunch of freshmen and sophomore, but they're putting evaluations on guys, and they have the they have the money and the means to go out and see a lot of guys to put those evaluations on them. And there's, I'm not gonna mention schools and say there's schools in this state with excellent evaluators that I think those coaches are going to thrive when this rule is put in place because it doesn't mean they have to be the best guy on the phone or the first guy on the phone anymore. They're going to be, they're going to get to the right player. So um, that brings me to August 1st. Now remind me when you coached, was July one, the date, did you ever have to deal with the, with the July one free for all? It was July one. But I still felt like you had, contact with those guys by having them call you before so it wasn't like your true first to like as a player that day you know your first time talking to those guys for the most part where the coaching standpoint you still had guys call you before the july one date so when i when i started july one was a date you really you weren't we didn't have the budget to be any further ahead but i would be somewhere in atlanta trying to put together the schedule of games and go see in atlanta Plus, here's the 40 guys I got to call. And who am I calling first thing in the morning? Who am I calling at noon? I've got these three guys are on the same team. What order am I calling them in? You know, because it matters. You know, and I I tell a story. Old Dominion called Justin Verlander at 12.01, July 1st. You know, they'd send him a letter. Be prepared. We're going to be the very first phone call. We're going to make you the highest offer. And they did both of those things, and he committed very shortly thereafter. But that July 1 date used to be an absolute free-for-all. You know, how many people have you talked to? What are you thinking about? Because the kids think they have an idea of where they land in the, in the scope of recruiting, but a lot of them really didn't know. Am I am I a power five? Am I a high major? Am I a mid-major? Am I a D2? You get a, a decent feel, but there were still Division One guys out there that did not get a single phone call on July 1. There will be F- Division One guys that don't get a single phone call on August 1. And then you'll have guys that got 30, 40 phone calls on August 1st that, that see their, you know, what they think their level is, and it'll start to drop as, as coaches get to know them. So it's going to be interesting to see how quickly that August 1, and we may just be sitting in the office fielding. We won't be in the office. We may be down at uh, future games. We may have a 10 up, and we may have the best juniors in the country just rotating through the 10 every two minutes with hats on the table, and this is where I'm going, and, you know, whatever. But – 
that August one date's got a chance to be a circus in a good so way. Do you think? Do you think the the phone call date? I, I know it'll be important, but what about that first wave of kids you bring on campus for that first official visit? Yeah, but you, you know, so you, you got a month. More, you know, do you as a player if if that school's really interested in me, then I should be in their first group of official visits. And you this know, if is I'm, where if I'm on down the road. Then right. where do I where do I line up for those guys? And this is where players have a little bit of the power, you know, because a player can can say, "I appreciate your phone call on August first. I'm taking. I've got three visits set up already. I'm taking at least five. I'd like for you to be one of them." And we that gives me a month. I can't commit on August first. I'm taking visits. Do you really think I'm a good enough player to wait a month for? Because if so, I'll be there. I'll be there September second. I'll be there September fifth. Whatever. But the players have a little bit of power. You see this in football some, where the, the higher-level players, excuse me, they can leverage who's recruiting them to stretch their time out just a little bit. I can throw up, here's the five I'm considering. Here's my top seven. I just saw that one the other day. You know, And, and it, it gives coaches a better feel for what's going on, allows some other coaches to move on, and then allows those seven to freaking go heads up, head-to-head, and, and set visits up and, and figure out where that guy fits. I think initially the players won't realize they have that power. They're going to be so excited to hear from schools and schools will be dropping offers. I, I think you're going to see a bunch of kids commit August 1st. Now, how much communication have they had prior to that? Uh, that'll be the gray area. How in the world can you commit when you're on the first day you talk to a guy? Uh, but I think as players realize we have some power in this, especially the higher level player that, that top three to five percent guy, you're going to see more schools having to really battle through the course of official visits, and 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 creating a dynamic visit for players to get them to say yes, this is where I want to go to school. Yeah, I think from a player standpoint too, if if you don't commit August first, uh, you can go enjoy some official visits, and uh, it'd be interesting to see too what schools uh, spend the money on those again. I know they've spent it for their committed guys, but it's been more of a celebration. Now you're bringing this kid in, trying to get him in your program. You know how much above and beyond are you are you going to go for those guys? And uh, maybe those football weekends will get uh, get really exciting again. Well, and, and football scheduling will matter. You know when, who who's nope. got home games. If you don't have a home game from September one to September twenty five, are you screwed? Yeah, it's just you know what? What are we gonna do with them? Are they? Are, what? Are, and uh, most places will have things for them to do. But I think you're right. I think you'll see you'll see schools, you know, try to separate themselves in the way they do the visits. I think you'll see a little bit more of the football, you know, really trying to turn it into a a weekend where they can see themselves immersed in that college atmosphere. But we also have to balance. You know, most most baseball players have a high academic and have high priorities towards what degree they want to go go get and what their lifestyle is going to be when baseball's over, whether that's in four years or whether that's in 20 years. And so we, as much as we have to make this fun, we also have to sell the aspect of what you, what do you get a chance to have out of the university? And there's going to be some balancing acts there and there's going to be some skewing, you know, bringing you, bringing Matt Payne on a visit one weekend and Brandon Hall on a visit the next weekend, they may be two completely different visits just because of, of, you know, what our mindsets are and maturity level and, you know, what we're looking for out of the visit. So, you know, are, are places able to adapt to the player or do they just have a single, this is our visit, let's have some fun. 
I, I think they'll adapt to the player. Uh, you would you know, hope. I think Georgia Alabama, Georgia Alabama football game would be a pretty good sale, though. You know, bring some kids <laughs> in for that. And, <laughs> you know, if it was in Athens, I would commit. So, <laughs> well, for for our people out there viewing, we, we've got more stuff coming on this. I know we're going to be in touch with with all the players in our database. Um, we, we've got a uh, another podcast that I did with Sammy Esposito and Shooter Hunt should be dropping here soon. If it didn't drop prior to this, we'll have more things coming out on recruiting essentials. We're, we're one week into trying to really examine what's going on. I think Matt brings up some great points in terms of the competitiveness of coaches. You know, those guys like making money and, and like where they're at. And so how is that going to play into it? And our guys going to find ways to stay competitive. Um, we've got, you know, a couple years before it really kind of plays out. We really have a good feel. Um, because in North Carolina, I think most of the the guys that were sophomores that were going to commit really early, I think most of those guys are off the board, and they're they're kind of rushing towards that August one. But that freshman class will be the one. So as that freshman class gets to August one of their prior to their junior year, we'll have a better feel for how this is really playing out. Um, you can track all of this on PBR. Um, if you like the podcast, remember to hit that subscribe button. Um, let us know uh, if there's anything you want us to talk about. If there's thing on, things on this issue you have questions about, feel free to hit us up, comments below, or directly uh, contact us through Twitter or through emails. All fine. Uh, Matt, final word, uh, NCA rules, thumbs up or thumbs down from the NCA in terms of what they're doing and what they're trying to do? Yeah, it's a step in the right direction. Uh, I think it's it can definitely be good. I think there's more that to get it how they truly want it to be. I think there's got to be some more rules put in place. And there you have it. Well, for Matt Payne, I'm Brandon Hall. This is the Prep Baseball Report of North Carolina podcast, and we'll see you at the field this week, if not later on. Thanks for tuning in.